Section 36, Volume 5 of the Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, translated by Richard Burton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maury Cunin. The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 5, Section 36, The 497th Night to the 500th Night. When it was the four hundred and ninety-seventh night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the angel said to Belukia when describing the serpent, And were it not for fear of the Most Highest, the serpent would assuredly swallow all that is above it, air and fire, and the angel and his burden without sensing it. When Allah created the serpent, he said to it by inspiration, I will give thee somewhat to keep for me, so open thy mouth. The serpent replied, Do whatso thou wilt, and opened its mouth, and God placed hell into its maw, saying, Keep it until the day of resurrection. When that time comes, the Almighty will send his angels with chains to bring hell and bind it until the day when all men shall meet. And the Lord will order hell to go open its gates, and there will issue therefrom sparks bigger than the mountains. When Belukia heard these things, he wept with sore weeping, and taking leave of the angel, fared on westwards, till he came in sight of two creatures sitting before a great shut gate. As he drew near, he saw that one of the gatekeepers had the semblance of a lion, and the other that of a bull. So he saluted them, and they returned his salam, and inquired who and whence he was, and whither he was bound. Quoth he, I am of the sons of Adam, a wanderer for the love of Mohammed, whom Allah assain and save, and I have strayed from my way. Then he asked them what they were, and what was the gate before which they sat. And they answered, We are the guardians of this gate thou seest, and we have no other business than the praise and hallowing of Allah, and the invocation of blessings on Mohammed, whom may he bless and keep. Belukia wondered, and asked them, What is within the gate? And they answered, We wot not. Then quoth he, I conjure you, by the truth of your glorious Lord, open to me the gate, that I may see that which is therein. Quoth they, We cannot, and none may open this gate of all created beings save Gabriel, the faithful one, with whom be peace. Then Belukia lifted up his voice in supplication to Allah, saying, O Lord, send me thy messenger Gabriel, the faithful one, to open this gate for me, that I may see what be therein. And the Almighty gave ear unto his prayer, and commanded the archangel to descend to earth and open to him the gate of the meeting-place of the two seas. So Gabriel descended, and saluting Belukia, opened the gate to him, saying, Enter this door, for Allah commandeth me to open to thee. So he entered, and Gabriel locked the gate behind him, and flew back to heaven. When Belukia found himself within the gate, he looked and beheld a vast ocean, half salt and half fresh, bounded on every side by mountain ranges of red ruby, whereon he saw angels singing the praises of the Lord and hallowing him.
So he went up to them and saluted them, and having received a return of his salam, questioned them of the sea and the mountains. Replied they, This place is situate under the arsh, or imperial heaven, and this ocean causeth the flux and flow of all the seas of the world, and we are appointed to distribute them and drive them to the various parts of the earth, the salt to the salt, and the fresh to the fresh. And this is our employ until the day of doom. As for the mountain rages, they serve to limit and contain the waters. But thou, whence comest thou, and whither art thou bound? So he told them his story, and asked them of the road. They bade him traverse the surface of the ocean which lay before him. So he anointed his feet with the juice of the herb he had with him, and taking leave of the angels, set out upon the face of the sea, and sped on over the water nights and days. And as he was faring, behold, he met a handsome youth journeying along like himself, whereupon he greeted him, and he returned his greeting. After they parted, he espied four great angels wayfaring over the face of the sea, and their going was like the blinding lightning. So he stationed himself in their road, and when they came up to him, he saluted them and said to them, I ask you by the Almighty, the Glorious, to tell me your names, and whither are ye bound? Replied the first angel, My name is Gabriel, and these, my companions, are called Israfil, Michael, and Azrael. There hath appeared in the east a mighty dragon, which hath laid waste a thousand cities, and devoured their inhabitants. Wherefore Allah Almighty hath commanded us to go to him, and seize him, and cast him into Jahannam. Belukia marveled at the vastness of their stature, and fared on, as before, days and nights, till he came to an island where he landed, and walked about for a while. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of the day, and ceased to say her permitted say. When it was the four hundred and ninety-eighth night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that Belukia landed on the island and walked about for a while, till he saw a comely young man, with light shining from his visage, sitting, weeping, and lamenting between two built tombs. So he saluted him, and he returned his salutation. And Belukia said to him, Who art thou, and what are these two built tombs between which thou sittest, and wherefore this wailing? He looked at him, and wept with sore weeping, till he drenched his clothes with his tears. Then said, Know thou, O my brother, mine is a marvelous story, and wondrous. But I would have thee sit by me, and first tell me thy name, and thine adventures, and who thou art, and what brought thee hither, after which I will in turn relate to thee my history. So Belukia sat down by him, and related to him all that had befallen him from his father's death, adding, Such is my history, the whole of it, and Allah alone knoweth what will happen to me after this. When the youth heard his story, he sighed and said, O thou unhappy, how few things thou hast seen in thy life compared with mine! Know, O Belukia, that unlike thyself, I have looked upon our Lord Solomon in his life, and have seen things past count or reckoning. 
Indeed, my story is strange, and my case out of range, and I would have thee abide with me till I tell thee my history, and acquaint thee how I come to be sitting here. Hearing this much, Hasib again interrupted the queen of the serpents, and said to her, Allah upon thee, O queen, release me, and command one of thy servants carry me forth to the surface of the earth, and I will swear an oath to thee that I will never enter the hammam bath as long as I live. But she said, This is a thing which may not be, nor will I believe thee upon thine oath. When he heard this, he wept, and all the serpents wept on his account, and took to interceding for him with their queen, saying, We beseech thee, bid one of us carry him forth to the surface of the earth, and he will swear thee an oath never to enter the bath his life long. Now when Yamleka, for such was the queen's name, heard their appeal, she turned to Hasib and made him swear to her an oath, after which she bade a serpent carry him forth to the surface of the earth. The serpent made ready, but as she was about to go away with him, he turned to the queen Yamleka and said, I would fain have thee tell me the history of the youth whom Bulukia saw sitting between two tombs. So she said, Know, O Hasib, that when Bulukia sat down by the youth and told him his tale from first to last, in order that the other might also recount his adventures and explain the cause of his sitting between the two tombs, and Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day and ceased saying her permitted say. When it was the four hundred and ninety-ninth night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the queen continued. When Bulukia ended his recount, the youth said, How few things of marvel hast thou seen in thy life, O unhappy! Now I have looked upon our lord Solomon while he was yet living, and I have witnessed wonders beyond compt and conception. And he began to relate the story of Janshah. Know, O my brother, that my sire was a king called Tegmus, who reigned over the land of Kabul and the Banu Shalan, ten thousand warlike chiefs, each ruling over a hundred walled cities and a hundred citadels. And he was suzerain also over seven vassal princes, and tribute was brought to him from the broad lands between east and west. He was just and equitable in his rule, and Allah Almighty had given him all this, and bestowed on him such mighty empire. Yet he had not vouchsafed him a son, though this was his dearest wish, to inherit the kingdom after his decease. So one day it befell that he summoned the ulema, and astrologers, and mathematicians, and almanac-makers, and said, Draw me my horoscope, and look if Allah will grant me a son to succeed me. Accordingly, they consulted their books and calculated his dominant star and aspects thereof. After which, they said to him, Know, O king, that thou shalt be blessed with a son, but by none other than the daughter of the king of Khorazan. Hearing this, Tegmus joyed with exceeding joy, and bestowing on the astrologers and wizards treasure beyond number or reckoning, dismissed them. His chief wazir, was a renowned warrior by name Ein Zar, who was equal to a thousand cavaliers in battle. So he summoned 
and repeating to him what the astrologers had predicted, he said, O Wazir, it is my will that thou equip thee for a march to Khorasan and demand for me the hand of its king Barwan's daughter. Receiving these orders, the wazir at once prepared to get ready for the journey and encamped without the town with his troops and braves and retinue. Whilst King Tegmus made ready as his presents for the king of Khorasan fifteen hundred loads of silks and precious stones, pearls and rubies and other gems, besides gold and silver, and he also prepared a prodigious quantity of all that goeth to the equipment of a bride. Then, loading them upon camels and mules, delivered them to Ein Zar with a letter of the following purport. After invoking the blessing of heaven, King Tegmus to King Barwan, greeting. Know that we have taken counsel with the astrologers and sages and mathematicians, and they tell us that we shall have boon of a boy-child, and that by none other than thy daughter. Wherefore I have dispatched unto thee my wazir, Ein Zar, with a great store of bridal gear, and I have appointed him to stand in my stead, and to enter into the marriage contract in my name. Furthermore, I desire that of thy favor thou wilt grant him his request, without stay or delay, for it is my own, and all graciousness thou showest him I take for myself. But beware of crossing me in this, for know, O King Barwan, that Allah hath bestowed upon me the kingdom of Kabul, and hath given me dominion over the Banu Shalan, and vouchsafed me a mighty empire. And if I marry thy daughter, we will be, I and thou, as one thing in kingship. And I will send thee every year as much treasure as will suffice thee. And this is my desire of thee. Then King Tegmus sealed the letter with his own ring, and gave it to the wazir, who departed with a great company, and journeyed till he drew near the capital of Khorasan. When King Barwan heard of his approach, he dispatched his principal emirs to meet him with a convoy of food and drink and other requisites, including forage for the steeds. So they fared forth with the train till they met the wazir. Then, alighting without the city, they exchanged salutations and abode there, eating and drinking, ten days. At the end of which time they mounted and rode on into the town, where they were met by King Barwan, who came out to greet the wazir of King Tegmus, and alighting, embraced him and carried him to the citadel. Then Einzar brought out the presents and laid them before King Barwan, together with the letter of King Tegmus, which the king read and understood. He joyed! with joy exceeding, and welcomed the wazir, saying, Rejoice in winning thy wish, and know that if King Tegmus sought of me my life, verily I would give it to him. Then he went in forthright to his daughter and her mother, and his kinsfolk, and acquainting them with the king of Kabul's demand, sought counsel of them, and they said, Do what seemeth good to thee. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased to say her permitted say. When it was the five hundredth night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that King Barwan consulted his daughter and her mother and his kinsfolk, and they said, Do what seemeth good to thee. So he returned straightway to the minister Einzar, and notified to him that his desire had been fulfilled 
and the wazir abode with him two months, at the end of which time he said to him, We beseech thee to bestow upon us that wherefore we came, so we may depart to our own land. I hear and obey, answered the king. Then he prepared all the gear wanted for the wedding. And when this was done, he assembled his wazirs and all his emirs and the grandees of his realm and the monks and the priests who tied the knot of marriage between his daughter and King Tegmus by proxy. And King Barwan bade decorate the city after the goodliest fashion and spread the streets with carpets. Then he equipped his daughter for the journey and gave her all manner of presents and rarities and precious metals such as none may describe. And Ein Zar departed with the princess to his own country. When the news of their approach reached King Tegmus, he bade celebrate the wedding festivities and adorn the city, after which he went in to the princess and abated her maidenhead. Nor was it long before she conceived by him, and, accomplishing her months, bare a man-child like the moon on the night of its full. When King Tegmus knew that his wife had given birth to a goodly son, he rejoiced with exceeding joy, and summoning the sages and astrologers and mathematicians, said to them, I would that ye draw the horoscope of the newborn child, with his ascendant and aspects, and acquaint me of what shall befall him in his lifetime. So they made their calculations, and found them favorable, but that he would in his fifteenth year be exposed to perils and hardships, and that if he survived, he would be happy and fortunate, and become a greater king than his father, and a more powerful. The king rejoiced greatly in this prediction, and named the boy John Shah. Then he delivered him to the nurses, wet and dry, who reared him excellently well till he reached his fifth year, when his father taught him to read the evangel and instructed him in the art of arms and lunge of lance and sway of sword, so that in less than seven years he was wont to ride a-hunting and a-chasing. He became a doughty champion, perfect in all sciences of the cavalrists, and his father was delighted to hear of his knightly prowess. It chanced one day that King Tegmus and his son, accompanied by the troops, rode out for sport into the woods and wilds, and hunted till mid-afternoon of the third day, when the prince started a gazelle of rare color which fled before him. So he gave chase to it, followed by seven of King Tegmus's white slaves, all mounted on swift steeds, and rode at speed after the gazelle, which fled before them till she brought them to the seashore. They all ran at her to take her as their quarry, but she escaped from them, and throwing herself into the waves, and Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased saying her permitted say. End of section 36. Recording by Maury Cunin.